This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're talking today with Father Sebastian Walsh, who is a Norbertine canon of the Abbey of uh, St. Michael in the Diocese of Orange, California, where he is a professor of philosophy for the seminary program there. We've had him on the show before. I looked uh, back at the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com and realized to my dismay that it's been four years, almost to the day, since our first conversation about the four senses of Scripture. You can find that over at OutsideTheWalls.com in the guest list. Just go down to the FRs, to the Father Sebastian Walsh. You can listen to that. But today we're going to be talking about the Beatitudes, because he has a book called Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. It's published by Catholic Answers Press, and you can get it at shopcatholic.com, shop.catholic.com. Father Sebastian, it's so great to have you back on the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Timothy. It's really nice to be back. So like a, a true philosopher, you start off this book asking the question, what is, let's define the terms, what is happiness? Because the Beatitudes yeah. are all about Happy is he, blessed is he, mm-hmm. uh, blessed is the one, the poor mm-hmm. in spirit, and so forth. How do you, how do we define happiness correctly so as to understand what the Gospels, what Jesus is trying to tell us here in the sure. very, very first part of the Sermon on the Mount? Well, I mean, there's a there's a definition for the name that everyone agrees on, and that mm-hmm. is something like the the greatest good or the good for the sake of which we choose everything else. You know. Um, that everyone agrees on the name. The question is, do we agree on the thing? And and it's Jesus who is in a unique position to tell us where actual happiness lies. <clears throat> because most people, they're seeking for happiness in money. They're seeking for happiness in emotional or physical pleasure. They're seeking for happiness in um, food and drink. They're seeking for happiness in power. They're seeking for happiness in the esteem of men. Right? They've got all these different places they're seeking for happiness. And Jesus tells us things like, happy are those who are poor. right? Mm-hmm. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are you when men persecute you. right? So Jesus is, is telling us, no, I've actually seen what true happiness is. It's not in any of those things. But you have to forsake those things and really let go of your attachment to money, to the esteem of men, to uh, physical and emotional pleasures. You have to let go of your attachment to those things in order to find authentic happiness. So the Beatitudes are kind of like um, Jesus's accurate description of where to find happiness and where not to find it. Mm-hmm. In another place, Jesus says, um, you, you who would save your life would lose it, and you who lose your life for my sake would find it. Uh, I wonder if, if all of these... Beatitudes and the, the things that you were talking about us seeking our pleasure in or seeking our happiness in mm-hmm. all tend to be self-fulfillment and self-filling. Yeah. Whereas um, Christ, of course, gives us that, that example of being self-giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if there may be some of the Beatitude also pointing us to that, not only detachment yes. uh, from these other things, but, but detachment for the sake of the other. Yeah, that's right. So the early Beatitudes really do talk about detachment, huh? right? Blessed are the poor or the poor in spirit in Matthew. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Those are very clearly identifying happiness as not being in money, not being in 
uh, physical and emotional pleasure, not being in power, right? And then he starts to switch gears and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then blessed are those who are merciful. And blessed are the pure of heart. And blessed are the peacemakers, which are more affirmative um, things. And they're basically saying, well, where do we look for happiness? We start looking for happiness in, as you say, that gift of self, right? And seeking out to establish justice and then beyond justice, mercy. And then even to seek and pursue the things of God, right? The pure of heart who, who want to see God himself and the peacemakers who become children of God. Huh? So the um, so Jesus is giving kind of a twofold account or explanation, both of where not to look for happiness and where to look for it. And both of those are contained in the Beatitudes. But it's surprising, you know, you um, St. Thomas says that it's not just enough to be someone who has a rightly ordered love of wealth to be blessed. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who have a rightly ordered love of money. He says, blessed are the poor, right? Yeah. Um, in other words, the idea that, that happiness consists even more in actually having a disposition that spurns wealth. I mean, think of St. Francis of Assisi. He's the example I gave for the Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. And St. Bonaventure, his, his saintly and canonized saint biographer, said, I have known no man as covetous of money as he was of poverty. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> so you see that very positive disposition that says, I am so um, confident in God's care for me that I don't need to pursue those other things as if I'm going to take care of myself. He was so confident that if he just spurned all those things that the world says you need to be happy and trusted himself completely to God, that God would fulfill him at a higher level and that he would experience the most tremendous interior joy. And that's, in fact, what happened for him, and it happens with all the saints. I I hear the, the response now of, of uh, people quoting St. Francis uh, de Sales saying that, uh, and that introduction to the devout life, that, oh, yeah. well, you know, for him, for him, uh, piety looks one way, but it has to look a different way for us who have families and we've mm-hmm. got to take care of our children and think yeah. of our children. And, and you tell a really fascinating story about your father uh, in, in his uh, excess of generosity. And I wonder yeah. if you might recount that for us. Here. Oh, sure. So first thing I would before I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit because the context of where I tell that story is that I get a lot of people who tell me, Father, the reason why I'm saving up all this money is not for me, it's for my kids. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, look, Jesus said that it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And so if you're telling me that you want your children to be rich, what you're telling me is you want your children's salvation to be nearly impossible. <laughs> so... So I tell them, don't save up a ton of money for your kids. And then I tell a story about my dad. So my dad was the most generous person I, I have ever known in my life. And when we were kids, if we were driving down the street and see he saw a homeless person going the other way, he would make a U-turn and give us a, like a $5 bill to go out and give to that person. Well, <clears throat> I'd never seen my dad pass a poor person in my life. But one day we went down to Tijuana. And if, you, if you've ever been there from the crossing from Southern California into Northern Mexico at the Tijuana border, um, just as you get into the Mexican side, there's a footbridge. And there were, there must have been 300 beggars sitting on that bridge, everyone with a little, you know, cup of, you know, pl- a paper cup or something, waiting for something. 
And I saw all those beggars and inside I kind of had a little smirk and I thought, dad's finally going to have to pass a poor person. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. My dad saw all those people. He turned right around, went back to the United States side, went to the closest bank, cashed a hundred dollar bill and filled his pockets with quarters. It looked like a chipmunk. And he <laughs> stopped and gave every single person on that bridge something. And I was so irritated. You know, it took over an hour. You know? Oh, sure. I was yeah. so irritated as a teenager. But now as an adult, I look back with such great compunction because in all the years that Jesus sat in the person of those hundreds of beggars, Jesus never met a man as generous as my father. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful inheritance. And I tell people, my dad um, spent my physical inheritance, but he bequeathed to me an inheritance of an example of generosity which is a much greater inheritance to get from my dad. So I'm, if you're someone who's got a lot of money out there and you're thinking about your children, I want you to think about bequeathing to your children an example of virtue that's much more important and a greater gift you can give to them than money. So mm-hmm. that's the story. You mentioned, even on the back of the book, you mentioned that for many of us, the Beatitudes are that list that you have to memorize in confirmation class. And it's kind of, you call it pious trivia. Uh, and and so we memorize it and then we try to think, okay, now which one was which and what yes. promise goes with which one? And, and it doesn't really get beyond the memorization stage into the internalization, into the yeah. incarnation of, of these thoughts. But, but here we have uh, Matthew 5, this is kind of the thesis statement of the Sermon on the Mount. It's mm-hmm. right there, the very first thing he does. It says, he, um, when he, after he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. So this is how he begins yes. that whole thing. So there must be something uh, seminal about this and important about this for him to begin there. And you also say that there's something important about the order in which the Beatitudes are given. Mm-hmm. And you quote the fathers in a way that I had never heard before, and that's from my own poverty, mm. that that there is a correlation to a ver- every beatitude as a correlation to a virtue, yep. and every beatitude as a correlation to um, a, a petition from, from the Our Father, uh, from the Our Father, which sure. I, was just uh, eye-opening and, and rich and nuanced yeah, yeah. in a way that I had never considered it before. Sure. And so if you, I mean, obviously we're not going to recount the whole book here, but if you could, why is this specific teaching, these little eight uh, beatitudes, these, they're uh, little proverbs of sort, uh, promises. Mm -hmm. Why are these so seminal that he would start that message with them? How does this sum up everything else? And what do we make of the order that we're given these? Yeah, sure. So I, I the, the title of the book is Heart of the Gospel because of the fact that um, the heart is a, is a beginning point, right? Whenever a, a, an embryo develops in the womb, the very first thing that begins is the heart, you know? And the same way, the Beatitudes are the very beginning of Christ's whole moral doctrine, right? I, I, I make the argument early on in the book that... The Beatitudes are as essential and central to the teaching of Jesus Christ as the Ten Commandments were to the teaching of Moses. In fact, even the language St. Matthew uses about Jesus went up the mountain, it's a direct quote from Exodus 19.3, when Moses went up the mountain, um, 
And, and so that's the first thing is just to recognize, okay, this is in seminal form, the whole of Christ's moral doctrine. Now that's not surprising because of the fact that um, if you ask yourself, what is morality about? Morality is about finding happiness. And so Jesus should begin at the end, so to speak, and say, here's, here's where everything I'm going to teach you is leading. It's to beatitude. And the word in the Greek is makarioi, which means more than just kind of a emotional satisfaction. The, um, the beatitude about blessed are those who mourn really underlines this. It's, it's used in the New Testament to describe the very happiness of God in heaven and, and the glory, the happiness of Jesus and the glory of heaven. And so it's a divine happiness it's a share in God's own life and his own perfection and happiness. And, uh, and so that's the beginning point because it's where we're aiming. And Archer, you know, determines um, how he's going to shoot by looking at the target. And everything else is for the sake of getting to that target. So Jesus, not surprisingly then, tells us about this divine happiness as a very starting point, And everything else is somehow contained in those eight Beatitudes. So he... Um, um, he presents them, and, and notice, first of all, the difference between a beatitude and a commandment, right? A commandment is basically, you know, thou shalt or thou shalt not, but it's moving you from the outside. It's basically telling you, like, you better do this or else. Whereas mm -hmm. a, um, a beatitude is saying, you'll be happy, really happy if you do this. And so beatitude, instead of pushing you from the outside, is pulling you from the inside. And that's characteristic of the new law of grace, which is not based on fear of punishment, but on love, right? And so the human heart is being pulled by means of the Beatitudes towards happiness rather than pushed towards something of good that maybe the human heart doesn't quite appreciate or understand yet. So that's why it has to begin, so to speak. Um, his whole moral doctrine has to begin with the Beatitudes. Now, you mentioned there's a special order there, mm -hmm. and there's, there's many reasons you could give for the order and the Beatitudes. St. Thomas points out that if we look at the first seven Beatitudes, they kind of form a unit. And then the last one, I'll talk about the eighth Beatitude, has a special status, okay? So looking at the first seven. So that first seven is divided into three. You've got blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. All of those have to do with regulating your desire for private goods. Money is a private good. If I have it, you can't have it. Pleasure mm -hmm. is a private good. If I have it, you can't have it. Um, power is a private good, right? So basically, those first Beatitudes are just about regulating the human heart rightly with regard to those private goods. But then let, let's look at the next two Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the merciful. Those have to do with our neighbor, right? Our right relationship to our neighbor. And, um, and justice is a good thing, but mercy is even better. So you see a kind of a perfection from the fourth to the fifth beatitude. And then the last two, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God, and blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Those beatitudes pertain to our relationship, not to ourself privately or to our neighbor, but to God, the right relationship with God. So our hearts are pure that we can see God. And then the way St. Thomas puts it is, there are those whose hearts are so well-ordered, they establish peace that is a condition for contemplation and purity of heart in their whole environment, in their society, and therefore are able to produce 
uh, a number of persons who are together able to contemplate God and see God together, and those are the peacemakers. Huh? You think about the founders of the great religious orders, the author, you know, of St. Benedict's Rule or St. Augustine's Rule, and so forth. Those were peacemakers who were able not only to be pure of heart themselves, but to make peace in the multitude and, and, and um, those who followed their, their instruction and their example. So you see that beautiful movement from um, private goods to goods of our neighbor to the goods that pertain to God. Huh? You see that? that well, um, and this is a elevation. mirror. This is a mirror of the Ten Commandments, which have those first three commandments, starting with our obligation to God and then with moving God, yeah. towards our obligation towards relationship to neighbor. Towards relationship to yeah. neighbor. So this is taking it kind of in the inverse and leading yeah, us up great. to God rather than from the top down. That's a really good insight. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. The um, the last, real quickly, the last beatitude about blessed are those who are persecuted, St. Thomas points out that signifies a stability in the practice of all the beatitudes. Um, if a man, even during persecution, still continues to practice the beatitudes, that shows that he's firmly rooted. And therefore, it's a kind of a crowning glory that shows that um, that, that beatitude can't be lost. So he considers that eighth beatitude a kind of a crown or a summation of all the previous seven. And I haven't gotten to this point of the book. You may have covered it, but I'm I'm curious. Each of the the promises that come to us from the beatitudes correspond yes. to uh, and and are fitting to the the thing that's being experienced. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be sh- uh, they will be comforted. Be consoled, yeah. The merciful will be shown mercy. All yeah. of them are different, with the exception of the first beatitude and the eighth, which are yes. both for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, is there Best something point. something profound there that that other than just that they are mirrored that maybe I'm missing? Well, I like to point out that there's when it begins and ends with the same reward. One thing that's signifying is, in some way, the beatitudes form a complete whole, like a circle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, there's a way in which they, they, it's not like a, just a straight line, but they're forming a complete and whole that shows that they're complete in themselves. Huh? But I do think it's that n- even not though, a cafeteria where you go and pick out the, right. the dish that you most want. I just, I just want the morning and will be comforted. I want to, I want right, to avoid right. all the rest of them. No, you got to have them all. Right? I know. Right. Exactly. I, I was mentioning that. That's one thing I talk about in my book. I say, well, do you need to practice all the beatitudes or is one enough? Right. You know? So I could just say, well, as long as I'm pure heart, I can be really rich and powerful and all these other things, as long as I'm pure of heart, you know. But the Beatitudes are like the virtues. You can't practice one unless you practice all of them, you know. So no one can say they're pure of heart if they just love money more than anything else or power, you know. So, um, But with regard to those that first and that last reward promised, the kingdom of heaven, huh? the um, I think it's the same wording, but it actually signifies two different aspects of that reality. I think the first beatitude refers to the things of the kingdom of heaven, like all the um, the, the the parts of that kingdom that that really pertain to um, the created goods that come with the kingdom of heaven. And it's appropriate, therefore, if I'm going to give up these created goods like money, that therefore I should inherit these more lasting goods. But with regard to the blessed of those who, perse- who are persecuted, I think the kingdom of heaven means primarily there the king himself. Right, and uh, and there I think that there's um there's a kind of the highest reward that's that's promised there in that eighth beatitude. But both of them are looking at the kingdom of heaven from a different aspect because sometimes the kingdom is composed of the king and all the things that are subject to him. 
So that's my theory about that. And there are different theories about, about why those same words are used. But I can say that some fathers and doctors of the church do distinguish the reward in the first and the eighth beatitude. Now let's, let's stay here with the eighth to, to the eight B because we have this uh, derivation, something kind of going off from the other beatitudes where you have blessed or blessed are they, blessed are they into blessed are you Yeah, when they insult you and persecute you. Is that still a beatitude? Is it part of the eighth? How does yes. that, how do we understand that, that specific passage? Sure. Yeah. Cause it looks like there's kind of a double blessing that's, that's made there. Right. And, and you, you rightly point out that he switches to the second person meaning he's directly addressing them, blessed are you. <clears throat> now, that's not the only place he does that. If you look at St. Luke's Gospel, he has a, an abbreviated form of the Beatitudes where he only gives four Beatitudes. And in those four Beatitudes, he, um, he always says, blessed are you. And he's also mm-hmm. very, he's, he's much less nuanced. So in Luke's Gospel, it says, blessed are you poor. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst, right? Blessed are you who are persecuted, right? He, he goes through and he talks about things that are very direct, and he doesn't say things like poor in spirit or hunger and thirst for righteousness. He just said, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who hunger and thirst. And it might sound like Jesus is saying in Luke's gospel that anyone who's poor is blessed or anyone who's hungry or thirsty is blessed. But uh, you have to realize Jesus was speaking to the people right in front of him. And what was true about those people in front of him? They had been going for days without food just to listen to Jesus talk. Mm-hmm. And so they showed already by their actions that they were poor in spirit, that they hungered and thirsted for the word of God and for righteousness and not just for food. You see that? So Jesus knew their hearts well. So instead of saying just universally blessed is anyone, blessed are those who are poor or blessed are those who hunger and thirst, he says, blessed are you, the ones in front of me. Now, going back to Matthew's gospel, when Jesus switches to the second person, and he's telling, he's talking to his disciples at this point, and now he says, blessed are you when men persecute you and utter every sort of falsehood against you falsely for my sake. Because Jesus knew well, by his foreknowledge, the people in front of him would all inherit that beatitude, that they would be persecuted, and all, all or nearly all of his apostles would be killed. So Jesus, I think he's, he switches to the second person there because he's being a prophet at that point. He's not just talking about um, a kind of a state of things, but he's actually talking about what's really going to happen to the ones that are right in front of him. And they needed to be able to remember when they were being persecuted and crucified and killed in every imaginable way that Jesus had said this to them directly on that one day on the Sermon on the Mount. I also love that perspective here because, again, the context here in Matthew 5 is that uh, after he sat down, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, yeah. it takes it out of of that blessed are you specifically teaching the crowds and into almost a seminary pastoral formation. Hey, <laughs> you're going to go out here and you need to know how best to to teach and to guide and to shepherd these people. Sure. Uh, and so it's it's almost catechetical or or instructional in a in a pastoral kind of a way as mm-hmm. he's handing that on to them and again then also on to us. That's true. You know, Saint Augustine, Saint Thomas Aquinas, and others they they think that um, Saint uh, that that Jesus actually preached two different homilies. 
one was on the plane that was reported mm-hmm. in Luke's gospel to the crowds. And then Matthew specifically says, as you point out, Matthew saw the crowds, then he went up to the mountain, the top of the mount, and he, his disciples came to him, which is not just the crowds, but the people who had already been close disciples of his. So St. Thomas says that there's a loftier, more detailed and theologically sophisticated sermon that's being given in Matthew because it was given to those who had already been following Jesus as his disciples, whereas Luke's gospel was um, simpler and more accessible to the people right in front of him because those were just the the crowds that that had come to hear him speak on the plain there overlooking the Sea of Gennesareth. So if these are to be more than than words, Mm. um, we have to to get beyond just the words of it. We have to spend time meditating on it. And you give us a couple of different ways to do that uh, throughout the book. One of the ways is by giving us the example of the saints, Mm -hmm. uh, by putting real flesh on it and taking it out of the abstract and into a real tangible place. Mm. As you are formulating this, is there a specific saint and a specific beatitude that, that maybe struck you in a way that it hadn't before? Mm. That's a really good question. I mean, some of them came immediately to mind. When I read Blessed are the Poor in Spirit, immediately St. Francis is obviously yeah. the, the saint for that. Um, Blessed are the Merciful, immediately St. Faustina, you know, comes to mind there, right? Um, here's one. Uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That um, it occurred to me, I said, she's the perfect one, in fact, her motto of her whole spiritual life was, I thirst, you know? Yeah. So it occurred to me when I was writing about that beatitude that she would be the perfect one. And she really did hunger and thirst that justice should be established, righteousness. And she helped so many people in, in, in such great poverty to lift them up, right? So she's an example of someone who I thought, gosh, that, um, that really struck me that she was living out that beatitude in a, in a unique way that you don't find even among the saints, um, I think about uh, Blessed are the Peacemakers, huh? and St. Thomas Aquinas is a really good example of that because St. Thomas himself mentions that um, the gift of wisdom is a gift of the Holy Spirit that corresponds to Blessed are the Peacemakers, because someone who's wise can see a deeper order and reason for things, and peace is exactly that. It's a tranquility resulting from order. And so the wise man's able to put order in an environment that other people can't do. They, they're not capable of noticing that. So I think even if, if you knew anything about the history of theology, before St. Thomas Aquinas, do you know that people didn't even know how many sacraments there were? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, there were lists of 21 sacraments, you know, and St. Thomas, just his, his great wisdom, he was able to bring peace <laughs> to the whole of theology seven sacraments and so forth. So those are a few examples of great, great um, saints, the way they lived out the Beatitudes in a surprising way. We're talking today with Father Sebastian Walsh. Uh, The book is Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. It's published by Catholic Answers Press. You can get it on shop.catholic.com. There's much more to this conversation right after this break, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Tia.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Father Sebastian Walsh, a Norbertine canon from the Abbey of St. Michael in the Diocese of Orange, California, where he's a professor of philosophy for the seminary program there. Uh, He's also an author, got a couple of uh, books out there. One that we're talking about today is Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. It's available on Catholic Answers Press over at shop.catholic.com. Um, I first met you, Father Sebastian, when you came to our parish to do a parish mission, uh, again, four years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, but you you also, at the Abbey, have a, a way that if the, if the canons aren't going out to do parish missions at a specific place, you can still participate mm-hmm. in, a, in a retreat in a parish mission kind of a way from home uh, that's easily accessible at www.abbotscircle.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the Abbot Circle. It's a virtual monastery experience. And right now there's a Lenten retreat happening to help people as they're uh, trying to live out the, the the three pillars of the Lenten experience of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving to put themselves in the proper place to experience beatitude as we go towards the celebration of Easter. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that program and how people sure. might access it. Yeah, so I think the uh, the the original idea was that there are many people who come to our abbey for daily mass. Um, we do a lot of educational apostolates here in Southern California, and we're very very blessed with some really excellent uh, priests here at the abbey. Um, and and I often say just listening to the daily homily at mass is like a every day is a wonderful experience because each homily has gems in it, you know. And so people would come to us and they would say. It's really a shame that that other people who don't live near the Abbey can't have access to these things, you know. And so um, someone had the idea, well, why don't we put these things online and make them available? Our daily homilies, for example, have uh, um, videos made with reflections from our different priests um, and so forth. And it just developed into this large, you know, library with all sorts of wonderful things. I recorded a whole, I think it was a 21 video series on marriage and family. And so we put all of these things online at this uh, abbotcircle.com. And as I said, it's kind of a virtual monastery. And then in addition, we have right now a special Lenten retreat, which is happening, which comes with daily reflections and then a weekly video on a special topic. I think this last week, um, there was a video that I had recorded on why did God have to die? You know, theological um, thoughts or more practical things that have to do with how to pray, um, how to uh, fast successfully, things like that. So it's a really wonderful experience, and so many people have expressed their gratitude that we make that available online. So anyone who'd like to see that, I certainly invite them. And to see our beautiful new Abbey, it's it's really a blessing to be able to share that with a wider audience. Yeah. Again, you can find that over at the Abbots, rather at www.abbotscircle.com. Um, Father, I'm struck by, uh, as, as you were talking about the, the Beatitudes and the order of the Beatitudes, you gave us uh, that that the first three were dealing with our own appetites and putting us in, in proper relationship with that. The second two are dealing with our relationship to our our fellow man, and then the third, the, the last ones were directed towards uh, reestablishing where happiness comes from in um, in our relationship to God. Mm-hmm. 
I'm struck because those are the same three areas that our Lenten pillars are are helping us grow in. Mm-hmm. That fasting helps us uh, deal right. with our own internal appetites. That's right. That almsgiving is the, with our fellow man, and that prayer is obviously connecting with that relationship with God. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've noticed as as I've talked over the years with people about their Lenten observances is typically we talk about, oh, well, what are you giving up for Lent? And and it becomes a question of willpower, almost as if this is a a, a, um, a New Year's resolution, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna power my way through all of these uh, these ascetic practices, mm-hmm. and and I've met more than my fair share of people who come out of that experience feeling demoralized or or weighed down because they weren't able to live up to it. And so far from bringing them happiness, it brought them shame and it brought them uh, a a sense of failure. I think largely because there was an attempt uh, to do it for the sake of accomplishing something rather than with the beatitude in mind. And so Mm -hmm. I wonder if you might help us to look at our Lenten observances in a way uh, and attach them to the beatitudes. Sure. Yeah. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that because the, um, uh, this last uh, week, I was doing a couple of parish missions, and uh, the missions, the theme of the missions was about how the Beatitudes, um, the, the season of Lent is a season of the Beatitudes. It really is in a special way, huh? When you think about blessed are those who hunger and thirst and who are poor and who mourn. I mean, those are the themes of Lent, you know? And um, and I like to compare what we do during Lent to an event that I remember witnessing when I was uh, a young man. It was shortly before I joined the Abbey, and I was staying for about a month living with my brother and his wife, and they had a, a, a little toddler, my niece, who was uh, just about a year old at the time. And I remember very distinctly, there was my niece, you know, sitting in the den, playing with her toys, very, very, you know, engaged in her toys. And my brother walked in the door from work, and she just dropped her toys and ran to her dad with her arms wide open like that, you know? And I thought, that's what penance is, you know? It's just dropping the toys so your arms are free to embrace your father in heaven. That's really what this is all about. It's just, it's not, it's, it's making a statement to yourself. These are not my happiness, you know? And I can have confidence and trust that my father in heaven is truly my happiness. And he's the only one who can satisfy my heart. Um, that's what it is. It's not about willpower. It's not about independence. It's not about being better than others. It's not about being the best version of myself. It's none of those things. It's about yeah. having complete confidence that God will take care of us and letting go, having that confidence that just says, I let go of everything precisely so that my hands and my heart are free for my father. Well, and, and to, uh, to a, a maybe a, a greater degree, maybe not a greater degree. Um, there's a sense that it's not just you know the toys that I drop; they weren't encumbering me, mm-hmm. other than my own holding on to them. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the our own appetites mm-hmm. have a hold on us sometimes more than we have a hold on them. Yeah. So it, it's in some ways it's telling ourselves and telling our bodies and telling our uh, our desires who's really in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it's not as easy, I think sometimes it's just opening my hands and saying, well, I'm not going to do that thing anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat this during this season. 
there has to, it's almost a, a training of the eyes to gaze more fully at the beatitude mm-hmm. and, and willfully ignoring all of those other things that are still clamoring for our attention. Yes. Right? The, the t- when you drop the toy, it's there on the ground and it, and it doesn't, it doesn't attempt to get you back necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're, you're right about the idea. We have to, we have to um, look deeply. It's not just about the external things. Mm-hmm. It's about the interior of the heart. Right. So, um, so it's not just about blessed are the poor, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Huh? Yeah. And uh, so this idea that, that our hearts need to be oriented and inclined towards those greater goods, those higher things is certainly essential to the Beatitudes. And, and it, it, the Beatitudes are built up, so to speak. They're the final um, result of not only growth in virtue, but growth in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know? And so you start off with virtue where you're basically just trying to regulate your, your life by means of right reason, you know? Then you've got faith, and you've got what are called the infused virtues. And that's regulating your, your life based upon the, the truths of the, the faith. Huh? But then beyond that, you've got the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are special um, perfections imparted to the soul by God that allow us to operate in a truly divine mode. Huh? <clears throat> St. Thomas gives it, you know, the example. He says, well, um, if I were someone who... Um, we're merciful, for example. I'm trying to fulfill the, the injunction to be merciful. Well, even people who are pagans understand the value and the good of mercy. I, you know, people everywhere will, will, will appreciate the fact that what a good man that he gave some money to the poor or something like that. But St. Thomas goes on to say, he says, when it comes to the merciful and the beatitude, these are people not only who who give to those who are in need, who are their, among their friends, they give to their enemies. And not only do they give things which are, you know, goods that are of the physical order, but most importantly, they're interested in bringing people goods of the spiritual order, that is, bringing them to God. And so the Beatitudes are, are not just um, instances of natural common sense. They are expressions of being divinely moved to live the life of Christ which is within you, and to live as Christ would live if he were living in your place, in your time, right? And so it's really important to see that those Beatitudes are, go well beyond the perfections that reason might just su- suggest to us by, by motive of just virtue like Aristotle might outline in his ethics or something. Last question here today, and this is probably the the trickiest one of all. All right, <laughs> we have we have these we have these beatitudes set before us as the kind of the thesis for the gospel given to us by Christ at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and for like you said, they for many of us they've become pious trivia. They're they're a list of things that we put down, uh, that we memorize, that we figure out. How do we get to a place where we can actually internalize that? To Fair. where it's not just, oh, this thing I have to do, quote right. unquote, but it's this thing that recognizing that we are being drawn to Christ and into intimacy through them. How do we make that connection out of the the to-do list and into the invitation? Hmm. Yes. Well, um, the, the essence of the heart 
of being able to live the Beatitudes is expressed in trust, I think. I really do think that's what it is. I mentioned early on in my book that um, the theological virtue of hope is key to living the Beatitudes because hope has an amazing power. It has a, ma- it has a power to make future goods present. I give the example of um, a young woman who's having a really hard day at work and everything's going wrong and her boyfriend takes her out to dinner and, and then lo and behold, suddenly he drops to one knee, produces a ring and asks her to marry him. And in that moment, you know, she may be a year away from her wedding. And in that moment, her heart is filled with joy and all the sorrow in her heart is dispelled because she has that trust, that hope that he's going to fulfill his promise. And it's the same with us as far as living the Beatitudes. Um, The Beatitudes, the joy of the Beatitudes is supposed to start here in this life. It's not supposed to be a life of just constant sorrow and mourning um, where we look sad and miserable and we wouldn't attract even one convert from the end of the world, you know. But the, the Christian is supposed to live a life of tremendous joy precisely because of the fact that he already possesses by hope the goods that are promised in the life to come. And so it really does have to come down to that, that trust, that firmness of hope in God and his promise that makes the living out of the Beatitudes possible. And what I recommend to people is to get a taste of the Beatitudes by trying to live one or two of them just in a special way, you know. They may look overwhelming when you look at all of them, right? But really try to live out the Beatitudes and free yourself, for example, from that dependence on money and really try to live in a way that is uh, a life of trust in God, His care for you, and to see how light your heart becomes and how much easier. I can speak from experience. I'm a religious who's taken vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And you might think someone who gave up money, sex, family, and power (laughs) would be the most miserable person ever. And yet I have the happiest life. And interiorly, I experience such joy. And I live with really happy people. And all of us have these same vows, you know. And so um, to, to try and just experience just a taste of it, and once you get that little taste, it might be enough to get you to continue to go and grow in, in the Beatitudes until your whole life is suffused by them and your whole life becomes a living out of the Beatitudes and already a beginning of heaven on earth. Well, I think even there are so many experiences we have in life, in our everyday life, that, that we're just kind of on autopilot for. We, we experience them and we react, we react to them in the way that we're accustomed. And I think even just uh, a simple prayer in the morning, asking the Holy Spirit to show you the places that the Beatitudes will enrich your life. Mm-hmm. So that when you get to a place in the middle of your day where you're experiencing mourning, the Holy Spirit can bring that reminder to you and say, ah, here, practice that Beatitude and, and mourn with hope in Christ and see that promise as you're living out that specific beatitude, as it's pointed out to you, see that promise fulfilled through his faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can't do it without prayer, that's for sure. Just asking God to help us to, because God himself is the one who has to give us the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and to allow us to live the beatitudes. So don't give up. You know, if you find yourself sometimes discouraged and whatever, don't don't ever give up. Just keep on going. And And I think what you'll find is that God is much more generous than you expect him to be. You know, yeah. don't be like that servant who buries his talent because you think you've got a harsh master. 
You know, be like those servants who take the risk because they know that the master is good and generous and will give them everything they need in order to succeed. So it's the same way when we try to pursue a life of the Beatitudes. We've been talking today with Father Sebastian Walsh, a Norbertine canon of the Abbey of St. Michael in the Diocese of Orange, California. He's a professor of philosophy for their seminary program and has written a couple of books. The one we've got today is Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. It's published by Catholic Answers Press. You can get it at shop.catholic.com. Father Sebastian, thank you again so much for being with us today. Uh, it's my, my pleasure. Thank you so much. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Sebastian Wall, sure you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media. Have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can hear this week's episode, but you can also go back and listen to my conversation that I had with Father Sebastian about four years ago as we talked about the four senses of Scripture. Just go up to the guest list, find his name, Father Sebastian Walsh. Click that, and there you'll find all the episodes that we've done together. Now, if you're looking for more, I've got good news because there's always more. Each and every week, we record an extra segment that doesn't make the broadcast, but we dig a little bit deeper into the topic or maybe find some fun tangential topic that we didn't have time to address here on the air. And we make that conversation available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and in gratitude, we give them that extra segment. Uh, they have advanced access to that for about uh, six months, after which time we make those segments available to the general public. So you can go back and listen through some of those older extra segments and see if that's a community you might like to be a part of. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the fathers and doctors of the church, to the catechism, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture, it should come as no surprise, is going to come from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, where we're going to read the Beatitudes out of this opening portion of the Sermon on the Mount. When he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And anytime we have a list like this, 
this is an opportunity for us to to spend time in meditating and evaluating ourselves against that, looking at this. And of course, blessedness and, and the experience of that happiness is something we all long for intrinsically. And this is an opportunity for us to look and say, what, <laughs> like the um, like the scribe when he came to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to experience this kind of blessedness? And of course, Christ lays it out for us, as, as Father Sebastian said earlier, akin to the Ten Commandments. Uh, there, these Beatitudes are as important to the gospel as the Ten Commandments uh, were to the children of Israel. And so looking at this, looking at this interior life, I can begin to, to take time and to meditate on these. What does it mean for me to be poor in spirit? Me specifically. What does it mean uh, for me to mourn. You know, so often we try to escape those things that are are difficult or painful. And yet here we're invited into it a little bit more. Blessed are the meek. What does this mean for me and how can I do this? There's a, a number of, of homilies by church fathers uh, breaking down each one of these things. And it's it's well worth your time to seek one of those out. There's a, if you have a breviary, we've talked about that here on the show before, uh, there is a, a, a section, I think it's the, the sermons of St. Leo the Great that are there, but there's also some from St. Gregory of Nazianzen, the one we're going to read today, uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa, who unpack and break down the Beatitudes even more fully. And of course, always uh, get the book from today, A Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness, and use that as as a tool to meditate on this passage of Scripture uh, as we seek to grow in holiness over this Lenten season as we look forward to celebrating the Paschal mystery, the resurrection of Christ. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzen as he unpacks for us one particular beatitude out of the list. Blessed are the merciful because they shall obtain mercy, says the Scripture. Mercy is not the least of the Beatitudes. Again, blessed is he who is considerate to the needy and the poor. Once more, generous is the man who is merciful and lends. In another place, all day the just man is merciful and lends. Let us lay hold of this blessing. Let us earn the name of being considerate. Let us be generous. Not even night should interrupt you in your duty of mercy. Do not say, come back and I will give you something tomorrow. There should be no delay between your intention and your good deed. Generosity is the one thing that cannot admit of delay. Share your bread with the hungry and bring the needy and the homeless into your house with a joyful and eager heart. He who does acts of mercy should do so with cheerfulness. The grace of a good deed is doubled when it is done with promptness and speed. What is given with a bad grace or against one's will is distasteful and far from praiseworthy. When we perform an act of kindness, we should rejoice and not be sad about it. If you undo the shackles and the thongs, says Isaiah, that is, if you do away with miserliness and counting the cost, with hesitation and with grumbling, what will be the result? something great and wonderful. 
What a marvelous reward there will be. Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will rise up quickly. Who would not aspire to light and healing? If you think that I have something to say, servants of Christ, his brethren and co-heirs, let us visit Christ whenever we may. Let us care for him, feed him, clothe him, welcome him, honor him, not only at a meal as some have done, or by anointing him as Mary did, or only by lending him a tomb like Joseph of Arimathea, or by arranging his burial like Nicodemus, who loved Christ half-heartedly, or by giving him gold, frankincense, and myrrh like the Magi before all the others. The Lord of all asks for mercy, not sacrifice. And mercy is greater than myriads of fattened lambs. Let us then show him mercy in the persons of the poor and those who today are lying on the ground, so that when we come to leave this world, they may receive us into everlasting dwelling places in Christ our Lord himself, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That reading again comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzen. And this is a common theme among the church fathers during the season of Lent, this reminder. I think so often here in the Western world, at least in my experience, I've heard so much about fasting, so much about giving something up so that we can grow in in greater self-mastery and greater holiness. But the church fathers spend so much time talking about almsgiving and mercy. And I think that you and I would do well to listen and heed that call. And yes, that doesn't mean by any means that we do the one without the other. It's when these three pillars of Lent, of alms, fasting, and prayer, when they are kept in balance with one another, just as the Beatitudes balance these same things of our relationship with ourselves, with God, and with others. When these things are kept in balance, this is when the Holy Spirit truly blooms and does amazing things, not only in our lives, but in the life of the church and in the life of uh, those who we are in contact with. When we allow ourselves to be conduits of the Holy Spirit and all of the work that he wants to do through us. And so I, I encourage you, spend some time meditating on the Beatitudes, but quite specifically, meditating on what it would look like for you to go above and beyond in showing mercy in this specific way through your almsgiving in this Lenten season. That's all the time we have for today. I do want to remind you to go over to abbotcircle.com. There you can be a part of that ongoing online Lenten retreat. Today's show is brought to you by Lexi and by all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to Outside the Walls, click that Patreon link to learn more. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.